0: The bottom line is, nobody understood the other person's intention. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Client Management, where we teach you all the good stuff about how to manage clients. I'm your host, Fred Fuller, and on the other side of the table, I have my good friend, co-host, and co-author, John Brown. John Brown, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you, Fred? I'm good. I'm good. So, uh, what do we have? Well, first of all, hold on. Shame on me. How you doing, man? I mean, what's going on? Talk to me.
1: What, what, uh, what's new with the family? Oh, you know, all kinds of good stuff. Um, let's see, what is new? Uh, probably the newest thing, um, I have, as you know, two boys. Uh, they're both in high school. Um, and the, the older one, I'm most excited about what's going on with him right now. This is kind of the new thing in our families. He's, uh, he just graduated from high school, which is Congra- exciting. C- congratulations. Yeah, thanks. That's It's awesome. Yeah, and um, he's going to take a year off before college, and he actually just got accepted into AmeriCorps, and so he's going to be a volunteer for a year with AmeriCorps, uh, teaching kids to read in Washington D.C., and uh, he's going to be starting that in the fall. That yeah. is so cool. Yeah, I'm I'm proud of him. It's, yeah, man. What uh, what motivated know, this? This is interesting.
0: Like he you know, a calling for public service kind of a thing, or.
1: Um, you know, he wants to be a teacher when he grows up. It's funny. Uh, my, my father was a teacher and, um, he wants to do that. And I, you know, and, and as I think about my own business career, sometimes like, I think I I fall into that mode of being a teacher as well. And so I think there's, I think there's maybe something genetic to it on some level. Like I think he just, um, is the kind of person who wants to share with others and has something to share and, Um, and so I think that's how he, I think that's how he kind of came around to it. And also he wanted to take a year off before going to school. So I think that might've been a primary motivator also. I am not convinced that that's a bad idea. No, it's not. For certain people, it's not a bad idea at all.
0: I I get the risk, right? Like if you get out of school mode, it's hard to get back in or whatever, but Mm -hmm. there's this element of just growing up and figuring out who you are
1: and how you want to contribute to the world
0: that you don't know at 18 years old.
1: I'm sorry. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for spending a year before you go to college, um, having to make your own breakfast yeah. and, and figure out how to live and how to be a functioning adult. You know, all the basic life skills that nobody teaches you. Um, you know, that, uh, that toilet doesn't clean itself, man. You gotta, you gotta clean yeah. it. Right. Well, yeah. All those things on your own for a while. <laughs> like, I think that's a good thing. Yeah,
0: I I did a little bit of different public service, and I know you did too. But right. uh, yeah, I, I did this little thing called boot camp when I was seventeen <laughs> years old, and <laughs> and they showed me how to clean that toilet. Really? <laughs> oh, in yeah, I detail. Bet oh, yeah. Great. They did
1: stick and spam.
0: Oh my gosh! But it, but that was my that was my sort of okay. Let me go try to grow up a little bit and figure out who I want to be. I think that's awesome, man. I'm I'm uh, I'm happy for you.
1: When when does he when does he depart? uh in uh at the end of august so we're finding him in an apartment and stuff right now so that anyway it's, it's very exciting his name is uh his name is fred by the way yeah you know. yeah so i'll yeah. share that with the audience and but i want only to make the point that we didn't name him after you but but you've never been prouder now that you've met me <laughs> You're welcome. I, I will. I will share. We call we call one of you Big Fred and one of you Little Fred. My wife and I, but I, I won't say which is which. You're gonna have to figure. You're gonna have to figure it out on your own. Oh my God! I hate you. Listen, <laughs> my
0: my twelve year old, twelve years old man, and he is eye to eye with me. So you don't get a feel for it based on the cartoon image on the book or whatever. Like I don't consider myself a short guy, but I'm five eight. Apparently that's short in this day and age and I'm a, I'm a little man and my kids have all busted my chops about it. But my 12 year old is now eye to eye and he's starting to do that little buddy thing with me, you know, like, hey, dad, it's OK, squirt, like pat me on the head. So I'm going to have to hit him with a large object really soon.
1: Uh, again, I re- I'll reserve re- referring to which one we refer to as which. All right. I don't like where this is going.
0: So speaking of being a teacher and sharing with others. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What, uh,
1: what do we have going on today, John? What are we going well, to talk about? We're going to talk about the six main philosophies of account management, um, which uh, I'll say what they are here in a second, but, but let me start with, you know, why, why do we have these philosophies? So what this podcast is, is actually going to be mostly really about tactics. So, um, your client manager in day-to-day situation, what do you do? But we're going to digress from that for the next two podcasts and actually spend a bunch of time really getting a lot more philosophical. And so um, these six philosophies are really more about how to think about uh, client interaction. So it's not philosophies uh, in the, uh, in the level of, uh, Plato or something like that. So it is, it is a little bit more geared towards the world of account management with with other business, (laughs) business clients. It's not existential. (laughs) It's not do unto others as they would do. No, it's not, it's not at that level of philosophy, but it is a little bit philosophical. And then later on, we'll get more into the, into the tactical, but we want, what we want to do today is share the six philosophies, uh, in this first podcast, we'll talk about the first two. And then in the second one, we'll talk about the last four. Uh, but the six philosophies that we want to share today are, are you ready, Fred?
0: Oh, I, wait, uh, do we want a drum roll? Do we have, who's the producer? Do we have a sound booth? Yeah. No, just go that. ahead.
1: We'll figure no, that okay. out. Okay. All right. We'll figure that out. We'll add that in later. Uh, one, seek to understand, then be understood. Two, our relationship is not a zero-sum game. We'll talk about both of those today. Three, concentrate on the material issues, not the small stuff. Four, but on the other hand, if it's easy, then just do it. Five, email is a low context form of communication. Use something better. And six, always start by assuming the other side has the best intentions. So those are our six philosophies of account management.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a, we'll find that there are some common threads throughout these, right? I think, yes. the, and today we're going to start with uh, seek to understand and then be understood. That That's and, right.
1: All, all six of these are going to relate. When we talk about the three jobs and all the things we're going to talk about throughout this podcast, are going to refer back to these six.
0: Right, right. And, and, but the themes being almost a, there's an undercurrent of consistency here. And I think once we get into them, that'll, those themes will start to emerge as opposed to just kind of blurting them out now. But, um, so let's jump into that first one then. Mm -hmm. Seek to understand and then be
1: understood. That's right. And let me start with acknowledging where this comes from. It comes from a kind of classic of the, um, world of self-improvement literature called uh, um, The Seven Habits of Highly Affected People and it, written by Stephen Covey. And so some of you may have heard of that. If you've not heard of that book, I couldn't recommend more highly going out and picking up a copy today. It is truly a classic. And in the book, Stephen Covey talks about obviously the seven habits that really effective people have. Habit number five, I believe it is, if I'm not mistaken, yep. is um, seek to understand, then be understood. And he um, tell in the book he tells this. And, and so, obviously, you know, it should be obvious what the what that means. It's it means listen first, understand the other person first before you start sharing uh, your own perspective, so that you can make sure you have good perspective. And he tells a very powerful story in the book about he was on a subway once uh, with a, and there was another gentleman seated near him who had two children who were scry- crying and screaming and running around the subway car and you know being obnoxious and he says to the gentleman you know can you can you please get your children under control and the man says well I, I I'm so sorry yeah please, I, let me let me do that and he tries to get them under control and he, then he goes on to explain that um, they're on a subway ride back from the hospital where the two children's where their mother had just died. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. And I shouldn't be laughing, but I'm laughing uh, at the pain of, you know, can you imagine being Stephen Covey in that situation of realizing what, you know, what you had just done, you had made assumptions about another person in their world, uh, you know, where if you tried to ask maybe some questions and understand what's happening first, you might have a different perspective, right?
0: Yeah and and the order of those is so critical because l- listen first and then and then worry about getting into them understanding you that's right yeah if 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 i want you to understand me first i have an agenda and i have a motion behind it and i'm kind of i i'm you know i'm i'm antsy i want you to hear me and i've got something to say and that can be in conflict with the other person's interest. It could be a number of things. It could be complimentary, but you don't know that. And when you go at it with that emotion of me first, by default, you've already broken down the system, so to speak, right? Like somebody's got to be, and this is not the way that I think about it, but these are the words that come to mind, but somebody's got to be the bigger person.
1: Right? Yeah, that's right. And there's also another subtle point to that too, which is um, the really, Good negotiators, you know, uh, client negotiators, anybody who negotiates for a living will tell you they're, they're a lot. One of their main goals in any negotiation is actually just try to spend as much time as possible to get the other side to talk as much as possible because they know that in that process they're going to discover something that they didn't know before. And as a matter of fact, what they're really trying to do is get at the hidden motivations of, of the other party, and they know there are going to be surprises there, things that, um, that you didn't know that are that different than your implicit assumptions. And so e- the exercise that they're actually trying to do is get rid of their implicit assumptions and get to what, the other, what is going on in the other party's head. Yeah. Do you right.
0: also the, And there's also an element here of discarding the ego. Mm -hmm. Right. If I am a hostage negotiator and I get on the phone with the, uh, with the, whatever, right. The person that has the hostages, the, the, whatever, the, I can't, I'm not worried about what that person says to me. I'm not worried about what they call me. I'm not worried about what they say about my mom, right? Like my goal is X. And if you can remove that element of ego, cause I, I think that's what drives so much of the emotion and the response and things. And so, you know, when you, when you tell somebody you understand them, that, that puts you in a good place. It strokes them just a little bit. Right. But then it also allows you to step back and see, are these things aligned? And my objective is a, a, it's not based on ego. It's not based on what Fred wants to achieve or do. It's based on what is best for the partnership, for the greater mm-hmm. good. And mm-hmm. I have to understand where you're coming from and what's important to you before I can understand what that goal or
1: objective should look like. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's, uh, it's critically important in the world that we live in in client management because, yeah, yeah. I can tell you when you're dealing with your B2B client and particularly when you're frustrated for whatever reason, um, what is almost always the case is there's something going on behind the scenes that you don't understand. Uh, so there is something around, uh, how that person relates to their boss. There's something around that person and what's going on in their home life. There is something around, um, there's just something behind the scenes that you don't know that if you did know, might make you approach the problem differently and, and, le- and in a negotiation might lead you to a mutually agreeable solution. So that's why this is number one on the list. And I might argue in some ways it's, um, it's the most important. Do you have any, you have any times where this has come into play for you? I, I've got a story I can share, but do you, what about you? No, go ahead. I mean, I do. Yeah, absolutely. But I want to hear I, yours first. I'll you tell I'll tell a quick one. I, I, um, I had a client um, who went one time and where I was kind of the lead account manager and the client was just dreadful to all of us. They um, wor- worked for a large company and was totally mean to us uh, all the time, told us how disappointed he was with everything that we did. Um, it, 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 you know, we just could do no right. And I, I quickly grew to uh, dislike this person. Well, it, it turned out later um, after he left the company he was with, the company that I was with, we hired him as a consultant to do a little bit of work for us. Yeah, and, small, uh, small world, huh? Well, yeah, that's yeah. that's a different story. Yeah. But in the course of that, I got to know him a little bit better personally, and I re- I really started to like him after a while, just getting to know him, you know, more on that level. Anyway, what he shared with me was that during that whole time that he was, um, uh, that he was my client. He had a meeting every Friday with his boss where uh, his boss just lit into him and screamed at him for an hour about the poor performance of of our uh, work together. Right. So his behavior was in many ways being driven by, um, you know, sort of what he was getting on his end. It wasn't him so much as the situation that he was in. And, you know, knowing a little bit about his boss, uh, I, I found that to be entirely plausible and true. And, uh, it, and it just occurred to me again, you know, if I'd had that understanding while he was my client, I, it would have been a more productive relationship because I could have, I could have leaned in and said, well, Hey, what can I do to prepare you for the Friday meeting? Right. Right. I, I, could, I could have, I could have been better. You, you could have helped solve his problem.
0: That's right. Right. That's right. I, you know, it's funny you say that because one of the little tools that I use just in day to day stuff, when I step into a meeting and if I have a negative interaction, I always try to assume something not as bad, but similar to the story that you shared at the beginning. I always try to assume, look, I don't know what that person's last interaction was. Mm-hmm. And that, I don't care whether it's good or bad, it feeds into this interaction. So I need to take a moment to just sort of understand that this interaction is not representative of the relationship or the issue at hand. It's a culmination yeah. of 70 things that have already happened before this guy even pulled into the parking lot. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very helpful to put that context to things and make it not about you, really. That's, that's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: Do, you have a, do you have a story around this? I do. this I do. I
0: it's, do. It's, um, it's a little bit similar. I had somebody that worked for me and she came into a position that we had cycled through a few people because I honestly don't think we did a good job of defining what the role was. It seemed simple, but it wasn't. And this particular role had to straddle two pieces of the organization. And so they were, you know, they were betwixt in between. And we'd cycled through a couple people. So we hired somebody in. This individual, she was super sharp. Um, and I knew that she could do the job. and knew that she would be successful. But in order to, to kind of make a preemptive move, if you will, I went to the other group that she worked with who had had complaints about the other people in that role and said, If there is anything at all going on that you don't like, that you're not happy with, if there's uh, any kind of imperfection in performance, you have to call me and let me know immediately. So I didn't want this, whatever it was, if there was something, I didn't want it to fester. That was my only thing. It was a proactive move to sort of disarm the other groups that we were challenging to get the right person in this role for.
1: Right, right. You were you were trying to be a good boss try, and, try. And, and protect her from, uh, you know, a group that kind of had a history of turning through a bunch of a bunch of people. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. right.
0: So with the best of intentions, I have this interaction. Well, this interaction goes to her. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell her I was having this conversation, but somebody within that conversation turned around and ran right to her and said, Fred said, we have to tell you about every, we have to tell him about everything that you're doing because he wants to keep a close eye on you because he doesn't trust you. That is literally the soundbite she got. Yeah. This is this person was in the military. So she was she was like, Hey, bullshit. I'm a person of character. I do my stuff. I'm on my job. And if you you have hired the wrong person. So she spun up, came back to me, and she fired off at me really, really hard. The relationship never got back on equal footing and she ended up leaving. I think it was four to six months probably. She ended up departing and going on to something else because the relationship was broken at that point. Right. right, I didn't fire her. I was not happy with her because I felt like she should have had more control over her emotions. But the bottom line is nobody understood the other person's intention. She was defending her integrity, but I got mad because I thought she was too emotional. I was trying to protect her. She thought I didn't trust her. Yeah. and 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 I own this as much as anybody, but nobody stopped for just that fraction of a minute to say, Hey, let's talk about what we want to achieve.
1: Yeah what was your what was your intention? The other group that you were talking to, they they either didn't understand your intention or were somehow maligning your intent in, intention, right? We, it, yeah, that's absolutely correct. And on some level, it's almost irrelevant.
0: Like that damage is done, right now. There's always that reflection of should I can, could I have
1: communicated better and all that other stuff. But yeah, you know, but, I mean, it almost sounds like also on your part, if you had understood her, uh, point of view more deeply, there was probably something there in her, my guess is there's something there in her past that set her off about this. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, John, look, and I would, that's why I say about this particular situation, like I own the breakdown and the potential resolution as much as anybody, as much as anybody. Right. So yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, yeah. this, that, to me, that's a great example of understanding somebody's intent. It's not just understanding that they have to get a report done by five. Let me let me give you another scenario that I always find really interesting. Yeah. Somebody internal or external, your client, but somebody calls you and says the boss wants to see a report about how well we're doing. Can I get that by Friday? What do you do with that? Like what? What does that mean? How well we're doing?
1: <laughs> I, that, yes. What I do with that is generally that makes me ask some questions about what do you mean by how well we're doing, right? Yeah. But then
0: that feat. So and and I had one client in particular who was notorious for getting that instruction from his boss and not asking the three follow. You know, like okay, well, so what does that mean to you, and who are you talking to, and da, 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 yeah. you know, like what's what's
1: causing what's causing the question? Thank you. Is is number one, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. So
0: you'd get that and you wouldn't know what to do. You're like, I don't, well, well, man, okay, fine. And so, but it just is, is that, and he felt like it was disruptive or, or, uh, disrespectful to sit and say, well, what do you mean,
1: boss? Yeah. Right. So kind of yeah. achieve mutual understanding. There's just, a, like, this is a topic that is, uh, old as time, but, you know, because we're, account managers, we want to translate that into tactics. What, you know, we'll talk about this a lot more in some future podcasts, but what's the number one thing we always tell our account management teams when they, when they walk into a meeting with a client? What's their, what's their opener? The opening is always before we jump
0: into this deck and all this wonderful, pretty slides. Is there anything on your
1: mind? What do you want to talk about? Exactly. Exactly. Right. That's how you translate all of this into a real world application, right? You've prepared for the meeting. You have all this stuff. Let's just start with what's on your mind, which is an incredibly open-ended question uh, that will elicit sometimes things that aren't even necessarily work-related, although usually mostly work-related, but it could be work-related stuff that actually has nothing to do with what you do with them. But regardless, you might learn something in the process.
0: Well, there again, you might, you might learn something that could be another sales opportunity. There's that piece of it, but it's also yeah. that piece of what we just talked about. Like what's on your mind? Oh, sorry, I'm distracted. My kids um, are, at, are at the daycare, but one of them's got a runny nose. So I apologize. I'll have to check you right. out. When you know that you're like, okay, cool. I can play to that. Right. That's right. right. I, can, I can not, even, and not play with, it's the wrong word. I can help you with that. I, I now have a with, it with that. I now have so much more tolerance when you pick up your phone and look at it in the middle of the meeting and I'm talking than I did 20
1: seconds ago. Right. Or I might help you out by shortening this meeting. Um, uh, You know, there's just so many different things you can do once you have those pieces of of information.
0: And that would be, and that's a great way to let somebody know that you're listening. If you get that in a meeting, then yeah, that's a great point, John. Then you just short circuit the whole thing and go straight to, okay, well, what are the most important things about this meeting? As Mm -hmm. we came into this meeting, you had three things, two things. What were they? And just move those straight. Don't go linearly through the deck, right? Like I'm
1: listening to you. I can't, it's, it's, it's a, it's a magic pill. It really is. It really is. Um, Okay. So seek to understand that be understood. Super important. Let's, let's talk about the next one, which is number two, which is a (laughs) somewhat related topic. Our relationship is not a zero sum game. Yeah. I I definitely want to hear your
0: thoughts on this, John. This, there's something about the phrase zero sum game. That's always a little bit
1: like, what what does that mean? Exactly. What does that mean? Well, yeah. Zero sum game is essentially the notion that if I win, therefore by definition you lose. Right. So, you know, there's lots of examples of this in life and, um, I think where a lot of people get wrapped up when they deal with clients is they start to fall to talking about analogies that are similar to either war or sports right so the client is an opposing basketball team and if i win they lose and so that is you know that is on some level a zero sum game whereas um if you take a step back with clients It can sometimes turn competitive, and we'll talk about that in some later podcasts. So, that's not something I want to take off the table. But um, in general, with most of your clients, most of the time, it's not a zero sum game. You need to work with them to enlarge the pie, so to speak, to create win win solutions. We'll talk about negotiations uh, some more, but it's not, uh, you know, my client is not my competitor generally. So, that's what we mean by it's not a uh, zero sum game. And that sounds really obvious uh, when you say it in the calm of performing a podcast. But in the heat of the moment, when your client just sent you an email uh, tearing you up and down for pricing and everything that you've done wrong in the relationship, it's almost impossible to pull back and not feel emotions that drive this kind of thinking and this kind of behavior. And I will tell you, um, and this is a surprise to most account managers. I will tell you who actually is the most prone to fall into this trap. It's not the account manager. It's actually your bosses. It's the executives of the company because by nature, a lot of those people are very competitive people, right? And so when the client does something that upsets them or angers them, they start to flip into competitor mode, zero sum game mode, and they they stop thinking. And so you actually have to be part of the solution that, is the rational part of the solution and saying, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Executive, um, I realize the client is not really uh, doing us any favors here, but we need to take a step back and realize that they're not our competitor. We're not competing with them. We need to work together to try to find solutions that make sense. Yeah, it's,
0: I would argue that you need, if you clearly define what, and I'm using air quotes, but if you clearly define what victory is, then this would almost never be a problem, mm-hmm. right? Because, and, and just like we talked about just a moment ago, like when ego gets in the way you can, you know, it becomes more difficult to break through emotional barriers mm-hmm. and have that fundamental understanding of, of where you're coming from or what your intentions are. Same thing here right? Our relationship is not a zero-sum game. And to the very logical, discerning business person, yes, I need this client. They will help me drive my business and I will add value to their organization. And so this is, it is a win-win, right? Um, It may not be equally balanced, but the moment that somebody issues a challenge to that relationship, be it on rate or some sort of a commitment or something, the ego gets involved, right? Mm-hmm. And then it becomes about victory. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes about, well, I'll show you, you're not going to get the better of me. Like these two things just tie so closely together to me. Um, and, and I think this is uh, super important, you know, that it is not a zero sum game because there's, there's no, nev- it's never 50 50. It's never like we came into this thing together and, and we all got the exact same benefit out of it. That's not true.
1: Right? Yeah, that's right. The other element of that is, you know, for a lot of executives, when a client drags you and says you're, you know, you've not done well or your pricing is bad or, you know, you, your company is terrible at this or, you know, whatever it is that they're giving you a hard time about. I mean, in some level, you that client is calling. I mean, the executive probably feels a very strong sense of ownership around the company and its accomplishments and its achievements and how, the great things that it's done and you're calling his or her baby ugly, right? right. You're you're saying, um, the client is saying um, what you're so proud of is not all that great. That triggers emotions in people. Um, It's almost just unavoidable. And so you're going to start to look at that client as they're the enemy, they're a problem. Uh, We need to do something about them. As an account manager, you're going to get pressure that feels like, why can't you fix your client? They're brilliant.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a I have a great example of this one. Uh, tell me a story. So at a previous job, we were negotiating with an organization, and we had a contract on the table that said, if you go do these things, we will give you this much sort of more revenue, if you will. And it sat on the table for a long time. With this very same organization, we were t- having some – fundraising conversations and they were going to invest. They were going to invest, right? We mm-hmm. were and and so this is so that, so that helps to paint the picture of sort of the background that the executives are super stressed right now because they have to go raise more money. There's a lot of optics to how you raise money and what you do it. I didn't know before I had this job and I have a whole new appreciation for what that world is like and how stressful mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. So the negotiation on the fundraising went a little bit sideways. And of course, then the executives now mad and angry and the egos involved and emotions are flaring. And this executive comes over to the other side of the house, this other negotiation. The client side negotiation, not the investor side negotiation. Right. That's right. And comes in and says, I'm done with this negotiation and rips it off the table. Now they had had it for a while, so, but they were trying to figure out if there were things they could do and couldn't do and what they could sign up for and not sign up for. They wanted the deal, but they were very slow in kind of providing that feedback. And there is no law that says that a contract, once you put it out there, is valid for any period of time. You can pull it out and pull it back anytime you want. Or at least that was my understanding. In, in, in process contract. Right. In pro, right. Thank you. Yeah. In process yep. contract. And so the executive comes over and says, I'm done with this conversation and rips it off the table. And they were, let's say they were 15% of our revenue stream. I think they were probably a little smaller than that, but that is material. Mm -hmm. So in the executive's anger, there was an assumption that the other party was the enemy, that the client was the enemy, right? It it had taken on an emotional state that just wasn't, it was detrimental, And there was an assumption that we were equals in this relationship and we weren't, right? They were, I would say, 15% of our revenue, you know, probably less, but, you know, just it, it, it was material and it was important. And the entire relationship went completely sideways because of a quick assumption that, you know, who needed who more. And, and just that emotional state of everything led to a complete deterioration of the relationship, which took a tremendous amount of time to repair. And we did repair it over time, but when you get damaged at the executive level, that spills down through all the ranks in the biggest of ways.
1: Yeah, so the what happened is it, the executive, because the uh, financing part of it or the investment part of it fell through, you know, they viewed it as a zero-sum game and said, well, you took something away from me, so now I'm mad at you about the rest of the relationship, which is still really important in and of itself, right? And since they're viewing it as a zero-sum game and they're viewing it as a competition that they have to win, the way that they're going to do that is by getting back at these people by uh, killing the, the client negotiation as well. That's right.
0: That, that's exactly right. And that's very well said. You took something away from me. I'm going to take something away from you. To, I'm going to take tact. something away from you. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, that's right.
1: And, and that is just a bad philosophy to business. That's right. Right. Cause it's driven, it's driven by anger. It's driven by emotion. It's, it's driven by, um, you know, that need within all of us that our relationship with our client is absolutely fair And hopefully what this podcast dispels is, as we talked about in the seven to one ratio in the last podcast, it's not about being fair between you and your client, right? It's about being effective between you and your client. Now, all this to say that, what I think we want to be clear, what we're not suggesting is that you never say no to your client or that you can't do something, Right like that, that is always okay. As my friend it's part of the job, as we've talked about in the last podcast, what we're suggesting is it's not a, it's not a zero sum game in that, um, you know, that, that if I win, therefore the client should lose and vice versa. That's what we're trying to say.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think if you ever approach it in those winning and losing terms, um, That, that, that's not the, that's not the healthy approach, but you will have to make decisions that are good for your organization. This is, you know, signing a deal with a negative margin, there might be a strategic purpose to that, and it might be a relevant thing to do for your organization. Typically it's not. So why would you do it? Right. 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 So you have to say no in that scenario because I'm not going to engage in a relationship that has no fundamental benefit to my organization or yours. Right. right.
1: But it's not zero sum. If you were to go back to the client and say, I need to improve the pricing here. I can't make this work. What you might do is try to figure out a way to enlarge the pie by saying, you know, what can we do to, I understand that you may not be happy about that, Mr. and Mrs. Client. So what can we do to enlarge the pie? Is there something that I can offer in the relationship that's relatively inexpensive for me, but might be really beneficial to you, you know, that's when it turns into the real classic, um, classic, you know, getting to yes, kind of negotiating. Right. And so it's not a, it's not a zero sum, right. That's a very rational, what you were talking about is a very rational thing to want and need and approaching it in a very rational way is, is not, you know, is the opposite of what we're talking about here. That's right. That's right.
0: So uh, I think that covers us pretty well for today, John. What
1: do you What are you thinking? How are you feeling? I think so. We talked about we covered the six philosophies, uh, and then we did a deep dive into the first two, which are seek to understand, then be understood, and not, and then number two, our relationship is not a zero sum game. In the next podcast, we're going to cover the remaining four and that's going to set the stage for everything that we do from here on out because you'll hear a shorthand refer to each one of these uh, and uh, now you'll know what we're talking about. Excellent. All right.
0: Well, that sounds like that is about a wrap. So for Fred Fuller, John Brown on the other side of the table, we will talk to y'all in a week.
1: Learn more about the art and science of account management. Pick up a copy of A Dragon Walks Into a Meeting, A Tactical Guide to Client Management. Digital and print editions available at Amazon or your favorite bookseller.